It's Father's Day, a time to celebrate all the wonderful fathers out there. Not just for being shining examples of how great a dad can be, but also for being wonderful reflections of who God is. Like God, you've provided for us. You've shown us how much you care from the very beginning. With God, you've guided us, helping us navigate through every decision, big or small. You've been present. It sounds so simple, but it's so important. Just knowing you're there when we need you. You've been patient with us, helping us to grow and learn from all the mistakes we make. And like God, you forgive us, offering us grace so those mistakes can never define us. And most of all, you've loved us unconditionally as only someone filled with God's love could. So today, we thank you, dads, for all of this and so much more. Happy Father's Day. Have you ever been that dad? You know the dad that likes to embarrass your kids at the mall when their friends are around or as they're getting on the bus each morning? From the website Bored Panda, embarrassed son asks dad not to wave at him. Parents, they are here to clothe us, feed us, and without fail embarrass us. 16 is particularly a ripe age for parental embarrassment and poor Rain Price of American Fork, Utah was no exception. It was the beginning of his sophomore school year and his first time riding the bus. So in true embarrassing parent style, his dad Dale waved him off. Mortified, he begged his mom Rochelle to stop Dale from doing it again. <laughs> Guess who overheard? To Raid's dismay and Dale's delight, not only did the father decide to wave him, wave his son goodbye, he decided to send him off dressed in costume. <laughs> but wait, this was not just a one-time incident. Dale dressed up every single day for 170 straight school days. When he did it the first day, I was in shock, Rain told the Metro, to which his dad responded, I hope this lives with him for the rest of his life. Dale became known as the Wave at the Bus Dad, coming out in the most hilarious and elaborate costumes and never repeating the same look. He said he only spent around $50 the whole year and relied on friends and neighbors to loan him costume essentials. So the family could share the ridiculousness with the rest of the world, Rochelle created a blog to document all the outfits. Oh, and Rain is now all grown up at 19 and serves as a church missionary in Liberia, West Africa. Embarrass a child more than their dad, which speaks to kind of the power and importance that a dad has in a kid's life. Because we can embarrass them, but we can also build them up and we can encourage them and we can really uh, build up their self-esteem or I would say their Christ-esteem in many ways. Now, what's true really though is that many times children can embarrass and shame their parents, can't they? And we do that, right? And uh, as good dads, we just kind of live with that and we try to direct them, redirect them. Proverbs 10.5, he who 
gathers, uh, who, he who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Or Proverbs 28, 7, the one who keeps the law is a son that understand, with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. And there are other passages we could go to that, excuse me, would underscore that same reality that sometimes as children we can bring our father shame. We're going to wrap up the series today, kind of loosely tying this into our Detoxify series, lesson number eight, week number eight. And we're going to talk about the power of love and we're going to look at the story of the prodigal son today and really what greater power is there to detoxify the junk out of our life, whether it's attitudes, emotions, beliefs, or uh, possibly uh, relationships or environments, whatever it might be than the love of a father. He can uh, really do a number on us when we understand and we have a firm grip on how much our Father loves us and really ultimately our Heavenly Father loves us as well. The story of the prodigal son. And it's a story we all recognize it by name. I've been teaching this probably for 30 years now as, as a pastor. And I'll have to say that uh, I, don't, I understand it better than I have ever understood it before after studying this week. And one of the things in the last several years I've been more inclined to do is say, okay, when I look at a story, where's the gospel? And when you find the gospel, it takes a great story and makes it a phenomenal story. Now, this story is truly Truly, truly amazing. And this morning, we're going to see uh, a son that shamed his father. We're going to see how the father responded and all the layers in this story. And there's things I found that I don't even have time to get into this morning, but it'll be a great look at an iconic story. Let's start here and just lay a little bit of a foundation for this story. Luke 15, 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them, this parable and we get a picture here of the audience of jesus like he's hanging out with the unrighteous with the with the tax collectors and with the sinners which the sinners would be like that woman of the city that came in a couple weeks ago into simon's house and washed uh, jesus's feet with her tears and her hair and that perfume uh, it would be the prostitutes it would be the drunkards it would be the low lowlifes of the city and the ones the religious establishment looked down on so you have the unrighteous here and jesus is hanging out with them and the self-righteous the religious establishment comes in and they're upset and uh, there's some reasons why they're upset they just think jesus hanging out with them sullies his image as a rabbi and he's not acting holy enough and so that's the other side actually this parable is told to the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's who he's speaking to here. He's going to tell them a parable and teach them a powerful lesson. So I think that's important. The second thing here, so there, there they are, the unrighteous, the tax collectors and sinners, the self-righteous is the religious establishment. This is the audience that Jesus is dealing with. And the thing is, just to understand here this morning, uh, that this is only one parable which is maybe fascinating. We think he tells three parables. But if you look, he, it says, so he told them this parable. So this is one parable in three parts, and that's a, a, a thing I would love to go into, but I can't this morning due to time. But I'll just tell you that there's some significance in that. He's telling one parable in three different parts here, and they all work to tell the same ultimate story. Here is today's big idea. God fathers us so we can father our children. God is a father to us so we can go out and we can father our children. And the reality is, and I, I prayed this earlier, but hopefully we all know this, God wants to be your father this morning, wants a personal relationship with you. He wants to be your dad. 
And some people in this world have not had a good dad. They maybe haven't had any dad. Maybe their dad abandoned them. I don't know. But just know that you can have God Almighty as your heavenly father. And he fathers you so you can go out and be the father or whatever it is. If it's the mother or if it's the brother or sister or if it's the friend or the mentor, whatever it is, the employee. He fathers us so we can go out and we can represent him in the world and be all that we need to be to the people that surround us. So you can, you can reapply this big idea to, to fit your personal uh, situation today, but for all the dads, just know God fathers us so we can then father our children. Let me just read through the story here this morning. We're gonna, a little different today, not a lot of cross-references. Uh, I'm gonna read the whole story all the way through, and then I'm just gonna talk about it, share some uh, lessons for dad this morning, and show you something really amazing in the story that I never saw before. Uh, I just learned it, and it just... It turns the whole story kind of in some ways upside down. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked them what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and and treated him. But he answered his father, look, 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 these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. When this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What a great story, right? Again, our God, our, God fathers us so we can then in turn father our own children. Here's five lessons for dad. I think the handout says four. I miscounted there. Five lessons for dad. You will never stop being their father. That's the first lesson. Dads, just know this. You'll never stop being their dad. That's just a true. And we zero in on the story and the first thing we see is that both of these boys, these sons, are adults. Like they're adults. One's older, one's younger, but they're both adults. Otherwise, the dad wouldn't have probably given him the inheritance and let him him go on his way. 
So they're both adults, and yet they still both, in this story today, we will see, need their dad. And at the same point, as children, we will never stop needing our dad. I can say that. My dad's 90. I'll, I'll never stop needing my dad. What my dad gives to me, what my dad can offer to me, just sitting here. How many times after a service he comes up and says, oh, well, that, was a, that was really good, Bill. And you know, it's like it's not just because it's my dad. It's like he really means that. And uh, that is really amazing. We never stop needing our dad. There's times we may get to the point where we think we don't need our dad, right? We've been there. I don't need dad anymore. That's what this prodigal's like. I don't need my dad. He's going to a far country and note that he's going to a far country with, with no real purpose. It's not like his career is taking him to a far country. He's leaving his dad and he's leaving his dad's values. It's like, I don't need you, dad, and I don't need your values. In many ways, it's kind of like his dad is kind of like dead to him, right? Because it's like, yeah, I don't need you. You're not dead, but you might as well be. Give me my inheritance. I'm going on my own way. At the same time, the older son in the story needs his dad, doesn't he? He's going to set the older son straight at the end and just lay it out for him and, and, and try to teach the older son some important lessons as well. You know, shortly before the coronavirus uh, pandemic shut everything down, Rob Kenny decided to start a YouTube channel. He had just finished raising his two adult children and Rob, a Christian, asked himself, what's next? His daughter helped him make a video and he started a, a YouTube channel, Dad, How Do I? The channel was intended to provide practical advice, how to fix most running toilets, and emotional support, I am proud of you. He expected to reach maybe 30 to 40 people, but in a time defined by isolation and loneliness, his messages resonated with far more. Today his channel has surpassed 3.4 million subscribers and 15 million views. When Good Morning America referred to the 57-year-old as the Internet's dad, followers flooded him with stories about their parents' broken relationships and traumatic experiences. Kenny said, it breaks my heart that so many people need my channel. Last Father's Day, his followers mailed him scores of cards, some handmade, many heartfelt. The fact that strangers are celebrating him at all reflects a man who found time to share his story in a world that was desperate to hear it. And it reflects the desperate need that so many have for a dad today. You never stop needing a dad. And if you don't have one, you'll seek one out. Hopefully you'll find one in the Heavenly Father. Most impressive story about Rob, uh, most impressive part of Rob's story is if, if you read through his story in his broken home that he was raised in, his mom kind of abandoned him. His dad kind of basically abandoned him. He said he'd never do that to his own kids. And finding the strength in Christ, he went on to live a pretty incredible life. So, first lesson, you never stop needing, uh, you'll, you'll never stop being a father, right? And God fathers us so that we can then go out and we can father our children. We never stop needing God to be our father, do we? We never stop needing God in that role, no matter how old we are. Number two, you will always leave your kids an inheritance. You'll always leave your kids an inheritance. Verse 12, and the, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. He gave them his share of the inheritance. And both brothers, note, both brothers get part of this material inheritance, this property. They both get their inheritance. That's important to understand. And we fast forward in the story, and it says that he came to himself, or he came to his senses. He's in this pig pen, right? And he's hungry, and he, it dawns on him as he comes to his senses. Hey, you know what? 
He got to thinking about his dad. And it made me stop and realize that this father had left his sons more than a monetary and material inheritance, but something far greater, a spiritual inheritance. And for every dad in the room and everybody that watches this online, just know you're leaving your kids an incredible spiritual inheritance by the choices you make and the way that you live your life. Why did the prodigal return home? Because he thought back to his dad and said, oh, my dad treats his servants really well. There was something about his dad that had been in, just kind of engrafted into his own heart and soul. And it made him think about going home. I'll give you three quick shots here. What will your kids remember you for? Three Quick snapshots of what kind of character you can be building. How about godly wisdom? Like godly wisdom, like we always need wisdom, right? We always need wisdom and dads are the best for giving us good godly wisdom. The Bible says that success lies within the scope of many counselors and dad has, dad you have many times been that counselor for your kids and I know my dad has been that for me giving us counsel when we need it. I love how Mark Twain said it. Did I put it on here? Yes. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. Isn't that crazy? How about spiritual character, right? You can leave your kids spiritual character. This is what he remembered about his dad when he came to his senses. That... He came to his senses and one of the smartest things he could do was look at his dad and say, my dad's got good character. My dad treats his servants really, really, really well. This was actually where I saw the Holy Spirit. I started looking for the Trinity in this parable and it was at this point when, the Holy, when this man comes to his senses and comes to himself and I wondered if that's not the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. I began looking for the Trinity in this whole parable and learn some interesting things i can't go into today but i'll just say that it does seem like maybe the holy spirit's at work here and he's illuminating him and he's the one that's that's saying the smartest thing you can do is look to your dad look to your father and isn't that what the holy spirit does to us reminds us that we have we are the romans 8 says we're the sons and daughters of god he reminds us of our righteousness and our relationship with the father so the prodigal looks to his dad then. And then how about this one, just fatherly love? Just, just leaving the spiritual inheritance of fatherly love. It's so evident in the story, the incredible love this father has, and we're gonna see that as we go through this, just how deep the love of the father is in this story. We'll see more of that. But I wonder, you love your kids, but do you tell them? Do you show them? How hard is it for you to just utter those words to your kids? I love you. We joke about that, right? Like those are the hardest words to say. Maybe the most important things to say, I love you. Say it out loud. In the end, simply be aware, Dad, that you're always leaving your kids an inheritance. And I was thinking, speaking of Dad's wisdom and his hard work, right? I had a dream last night of all things. I dreamt about a muffler. Isn't that crazy? I did. I woke up exhausted. So, so just saying. Little little dad wisdom there this morning. Don't dream about mufflers. You wake up exhausted. God fathers us so we can father our children. He is the example, sent the example in his son Jesus so we know how to be an example to our kids. Number three, you must give your children the free will to fall. Give your children the free will to 
fault. Here's the truth about this, about this whole inheritance. The dad was not obligated to give his child the inheritance. It was up to his discretion to give the inheritance before he died or after he died. And, and some might say, the dad was kind of irresponsible here. Shouldn't you have known your kid? He'd go out and blow the money. But there comes a time and a point when your kids come of age when you say, it's time for you to stand on your own two feet. It's time for you to take responsibility for your life. And he give, we, we need to give them the free will to go out and sometimes fall. This is no different than what God did for us, right? With Adam and Eve. Created them in his image and then he what? Gave them a free will. Being created in God's image means that we were given a free will. God has a free will. We were given a free will. And it's pretty amazing when you think about how God created us and how then he allowed Adam and Eve to choose. And he knew they would choose poorly, like this father knew his dad. This this father might have known his son would choose poorly. But he is in some ways a parallel to the heavenly father, is he not? That's the point of this story. You know, there's another parallel between Adam and Eve and this dad in the prodigal's story, right? Because what did that, you know, the, the dad kind of entrusted the prodigal with half of his family farm. Or I guess it would be a third. He got a third and the older son got two thirds. And so he gave the, the, the son a third of his family farm. What did God give to Adam and Eve? The whole world. You're, you're responsible for the whole world. <laughs> and they fell. And look what happened to all of his beautiful creation because they fell. So you need to give your children responsibility. Uh, I'm not saying there's not some wisdom here. I'm not saying this is a blanket rule. You have to make sure they're ready for it. You want to do what's best for them. But there is something about knowing your children and knowing it's time for them to make their own choices, to stand on their own two feet. And we have to give them the free will to fall. You can't be that lawnmower parent that goes before them and mows down all their problems. That won't help them. <clears throat> so Joshua actually says this to the Israelite people. At the end of his letter, he's near death. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river back in Egypt or the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you now dwell, the, the gods right here that litter the land of Canaan. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord comes a time when we all have to choose who am I going to serve. And Joshua challenged the people. They go on and say, we will serve God too. They don't always do a good job of it. But they make their claim. So just know that. Here's the thing. Your kids at the right time need to be given the same free will because they need to own their own faith. So grads, own your own faith. Ashley, those kids that are near graduation, whatever, you know, when you're close to that age, when you're getting out on your own, you have to own your own faith. It can't be your mom and dad's faith, can't be your grandparents' faith. What I mean by that is there comes a time and a point when mom and dad are going to stop waking you up on Sunday morning and dragging you to church. You get up and go to church because you know I need to be there because I'm taking responsibility for my life. Own your own faith. At the same time, Faith is a byproduct of free will. Just know that. You want your kids to grow faith, it's a byproduct of free will, right? That's Adam and Eve's story. It's like, yeah, you want to grow faith in your kids, it's a byproduct of letting them make choices. 
You can't force them to church. Comes a time when you have to pray and encourage and demonstrate. I saw a great quote this week. My dad didn't tell me how to live. He just lived and let me watch. Dads, don't just tell your kids how to live. Show them. Show them how to live. It's the best thing we can do. We can be great at words, right? But don't just use words. Show them. This is how you live. And there's, there's, There comes a time and a point when you have to own your own faith. Think about it, though. If there was no free will, there would be no faith, which means if you want your kids to grow, we have to feed their free will. And here's the, the third thing, reality check. Sometimes faith requires hard times. Sometimes faith requires hard times. Again, if you want your kids to grow faith, sometimes it requires hard times. You see, there's this messy, tension-filled reality in this story. This would be a great discussion question for Sunday school. Think about this, right? The prodigal who left home. Think there's two brothers here. The prodigal left home in a rebellious fashion, exercising his free will, chose poorly, endured a famine, tasted hunger, and smelled like pigs, comes home to this reality what's the reality he came home to his faith is stronger his hope is greater and his relationship with the father is sweeter than his older brother who stayed home and never left isn't that kind of wild like that's kind of a tension filled like this brother just stayed home and was the good kid and in the end he's got a a worse relationship with his dad than the one who went off had the free will fall and made all kinds of mistakes had outright rebellion and yet he's closer to his dad in the end. And we've talked about this before. Imagine what we would not know about God if Adam and Eve had never sinned in the garden, right? The mercy, the grace, the forgiveness, the love. We would never know about God if it had not been for the fact that Adam and Eve were given a, given a free will and they sinned. And when they sinned, it's like we learned all this stuff. It's like, it's not a good thing that they sinned, but maybe it's not a bad thing. And isn't that kind of, that's what I'm saying, that's a tension-filled discussion question. Again, God fathers us so we can father our children. He fathers us so that we can father our kids. Here's lesson number four, okay? You must always let your kids know that they, you must let your kids know they can always come home. Oh, let your kids know they can always come home. And I just thought this was a really, when I, when I saw this, I just thought that's a really powerful thought. And it's not that you don't have exception or expectations or rules. And it's not that, that maybe that's not the best thing for you to let them come home, right? Maybe it's not. Maybe they need to learn to stand on their own two feet. You have to know your kids. But the reality is, you must let your kids know they can always come home. Thankfully, my mom and dad did that for me. I don't think I left home. I left home a few times and came back a few times. My, my other brother, man, he left home and he was gone, man. He graduated. He was out of there. But uh, that wasn't my case, my story. But here's the interesting, what I'm thinking about is in this sense, when the, when the prodigal goes home, how does his dad treat him? With love and grace and mercy. No judgment, no condemnation. The, 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 the son actually has this three-point outline rehearsed. Number one, this is what I did. Number two, this is who I am. Number three, this is what I deserve. He had it all down. He had a three-point sermon for his dad. This is what I did, this is who I am, this is what I deserve. He got to point two and that's it. God shut him, or the father shut him up and said, no, come on home, we're going back home. Pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. So he came home not to a house of judgment, but a house of grace. That's what I'm talking about. Always know that your kids can come back home and you'll welcome them and it's a house of grace, not a house of judgment. 
That doesn't mean you don't talk through their mistakes. Maybe they're outright rebellion and sin, that you don't work through their choices. It doesn't mean that you don't, you know, help them deal with the problems in their life. So there, there's a fine line there, but you never need to judge. Jesus never needed to judge anyone. But he gave them the truth and he gave them grace. And he helped people become the fullest of their potential. The fullest of their potential. God fathers us so we can father our children. That's what God does for us. God welcomes us from wherever we are at whatever time without judgment, without condemnation. He welcomes us in love and he takes us in and he goes to work on our life. So, you will never stop being a father. You will always leave your kids an inheritance. You have to give your kids the free will to fall and you must let your kids know they can always come home and this is where the story gets really good. Point number five. Lesson number five. And it starts with a question. This is the question. What do your kids need most? Like of everything you can give your kids, what do they need the most? What's the most important thing you can give them? Well, okay, and, and I would agree with that, except you can't really give them Jesus. They've got to choose him. So they've got to receive Jesus. What can you, what's the most important thing you can give them? Is it love? Is it time? Is it attention? Is it wisdom? Is it direction? What do your kids need the most from you? Your kids need the gospel. Again, they need the gospel. They need the ever-transformative and empowering gospel. The gospel of mercy and grace and forgiveness and hope and peace and security and confidence and power, inheritance, identity, purpose and calling and so much more. They need the gospel. They need to know the gospel. They need to know how to live out the gospel every day. They have to choose Jesus. They have to choose Christ. You can't force it on them. But they need the gospel. And this, again, is where a great story becomes phenomenal when you start to look in the story and say, okay, how is the story pointing us to the gospel and telling us the, sto- the story of the gospel? As I said, I've taught this for 30 years and I, there are things in here that I saw this week that I have never saw before or understood before. Now, what I have learned that has transformed this study story for me is the work of a man named Kenneth E. Bailey. Pastor Bailey has an extensive resume as a prolific author and lecturer in Middle Eastern New Testament studies. Bailey, among other things, spent 40 years living and teaching New Testament in Egypt, Lebanon, Jerusalem, and Cyprus. He is perhaps best remembered for insights into the Middle Eastern cultures and oral traditions that shape the Bible. He does some fascinating work. I listened to him this week talk about I never knew this, that, that basically the story of the prodigal son is a retelling of the story of Jacob and Esau, the two sons in the Old Testament. 51 similarities between the stories. It's just fascinating. So this guy is uh, quite the mind, and he has quite the insight into some of the Middle Eastern cultures. And uh, yeah, it seems that in the Jewish culture of that day, there is something called the Keza Ceremony. Let's see, did I put that? Yeah. Uh, one of the few places this is found is in the Talmud. The thing is it, is, it is amazing what we miss out on in the Bible when we do not necessarily know the cultural setting in which some of these stories are played out. When we understand the Keza ceremony, it can add another layer of rich meaning to the prodigal story. So, here is the Keza ceremony, okay? 
And this is applied in two ways. It's applied to like uh, somebody that marries someone they shouldn't marry or someone outside of the community. But when a Jewish man, this is another interpretation, when a Jewish man left his community, went and lived with the Gentiles and lost his wealth, he was not in a good place. When he came back, he would face the Kesla ceremony where he would go to the city gates and the older men would throw down a pot in front of the young man symbolizing the broken relationship that now existed between the community and the sinner. This separated him from his family, his community, and his faith. He was ostensibly cut off from his family, community, and faith. So that's going to factor in now as we think about this young man and his mindset as he has gone to a far country. He has gone to a Gentile country. We'll see that. So let's look at this at, through the Keza ceremony and then look at the gospel through three sets of eyes here. This is fascinating. When he came to his senses, it says in, I think it is verse 17, when he came to his senses. Now some look at this and think this is kind of like repentance, right? Like he's, he's come to his sentence, he's going to go back home, it's repentance. And repentance is kind of like a change of direction, but it's also a change of mindset. I don't think this guy's, this, this son's mindset has changed yet. He's going to go back home, but I don't think it's necessarily at this point repentance. As I said earlier, I think the Holy Spirit is maybe working on him here, convicting him here, uh, making him aware of his plight, and causing him to look home to the Father. So he may want to go back home. Think about it. This son may want to go back home, but if I go back home, I've lost all my money in a Gentile country. They're going to perform the Keza ceremony. I'll be cut off forever. So he has this dilemma. See, here's the deal. His dad gave him his share of the inheritance. Dad owns 120 acres. He's the younger son. He gets a third. He gets 40 acres of that land. He takes his inheritance. He takes the property, as it said in, in the text today, goes out, sells that property, takes the money, leaves town. So he sold a third of his dad's land, a third of the family farm. He's gone out. And often the emphasis for us, we read this and we think that he lived immorally. And he may have. Maybe the older brother's right. You can't really trust the older brother. He said he went out and lived with prodigals. Wayne and Rick are looking at each other like, <laughs> can't always trust the older brother. But, but you know, you can't really in this story trust the older brother, right? But um, it, so whether he went out and just lived a really immoral life, uh, some think it was more of an extravagant life in the fact that he blew all the money. So I don't know, it could be either or. Whatever the case, he blew all of his money. And he blew it, when you think about it, he blew it in a Gentile country. How do we know it's a Gentile country? Because he went to work for a pig farmer. We just talked about this in Sunday school, and so these things jumped out at me. He's like, it's a pig farmer. There's something about that pig farmer that's important. Yeah, Jews would not have, wouldn't be raising pigs. So you got, a, you got a pig here and you got a calf at the end of the story kind of juxtaposed these two animals. He's in a, at a pig farm. The pigs are unclean in Jewish custom, in Jewish law, not just custom, but in their law. And he's in this foreign country. And so this young man has met the conditions for the Keza ceremony to be enacted upon him if he, if he goes back home. And that's got to be his fear. How do I go back home? And his, old, his whole mindset is, I need to earn the money to get back home. Could be why he's working at the pig farm. I got to earn this money back that I blew at Vegas, however. I got to earn this money that I just managed to, to, I got all this money from dad, went out in three months, I blew it all. How'd I do that? It's like, I'm so irresponsible. How do I earn the money so I can go back 
home. So I don't think at this point he is feeling regret for his choices necessarily or remorse towards his dad. It's like, okay, how do I earn the money so I can get back home? Maybe there's some remorse there, but I don't know that he feels necessarily at this point feelings towards his dad that have shifted. So let's look at this a little. Verse 16, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Pretty powerful little verse there. His motivation to go home is what? What's his motivation to go home? He's hungry. <laughs> I'm in this pig pen. I'm starving. It's like, hey, if I go home, my servant, my dad's servants get to eat better than I. So his motivation at this point to go home is basically his hunger. He's hungry. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, he began to be in need, and he was longing, and no one gave him anything. Isn't that the world right there, right? Like the world has spent everything they have. They've, they've looked everywhere for what only Christ can offer, and they're, they're in need. They're looking, they're searching. That's Adam and Eve in the garden, who had everything at home, just like this young man did, left home. Now has nothing. No one would give him anything. He spent everything and no one would give him anything. The plight of the world today, the plight of Adam and Eve in the garden who went out into the wilderness and were in need, the plight of this young man who left home and everything he had was back home with his dad. He had all that he wanted. In the end, nothing can satisfy us but Jesus. Verse 17 here, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Well, what does that mean to How does that communicate the gospel? Well, what do we know? Jesus is the bread of life. More than enough bread. Jesus is the bread of life. Like when he fed the 15,000 with the fishes and loaves and there was enough for everybody and there was some left over. And if there had been 30,000, if there had been 100,000, there had been enough for everyone. Jesus is the bread of life. My father has bread. I have no bread here in this foreign land and then he says i perish with hungry which hunger which reminds us of what john three sixteen. for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life the son doesn't even know all the implications of his own statements and words and how they point to the gospel but they point us they 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 we can look in scripture and say these are all the spiritual implications of the plight of this young man who's sitting here trying to think how can i earn the money to get back home you can't. You can't earn the money. As I said earlier, remember the three-point speech he has, right? What I have done. Dad, what I have done. I have sinned against heaven and you. Who am I? I am no longer worthy to be your son. I'm a servant. And see what I deserve. Let me work for you. Let me work for you as a servant. Let me be a worker. I don't deserve your grace or your goodness. Just let me work for you. His three-point outline, there it is. Pretty amazing indeed. The problem is, for the prodigal here, right? He wants to pay his dad back. Some things can't be repaid, right? Because it's not just about money. The issue here is not just monetarily. He, there's something else going on here. He has hurt his dad and shamed his dad. It's like he told his dad, pretty much, dad, you're pretty much dead to me. Like, you're not dead, but just give me the inheritance as if you are. Like, you're dead to me. I'm going to go do my own, chart my own course and go my own way. And then he shamed his dad because I'm sure everyone in town knew that his son sold a third of the family farm and left and went off to a foreign country. And I don't know if they knew what was going on to the young son over there, if, 
if rumors circulated back home, could have. But he hurt his dad and he shamed his dad. And the reality is some things can't be repaid. He might try to earn the money to buy back the part of the family farm he lost. Maybe he could, maybe he couldn't. But some things can't be repaid, right? Some things can only be forgiven. That's the gospel. That's why your kids need the gospel because in life they're going to encounter some things that can't be repaid. They can only be forgiven with mercy and grace and love and kindness, which is what the father does for his son as the story goes on. Pretty amazing, pretty uh, amazing. So, but when he came to his senses, that's the prodigal son. Here's the father's perspective, but while he was still a long way off, while he is still a long way off. And while the son is gingerly and slowly walking home, rehearsing his words and fearing what he may face, we see the father come to him. Which I said last week is a picture of religion, right? Like religion is us working our way to God. And Christianity is God reaching down to us in grace and kindness and mercy and love, reaching down to us and grabbing a hold of us. A great picture of the two working here. It's the juxtaposition, juxtaposition of my working or my trusting. So the, lie, so the son starts his speech, right? Remember? Gets two-thirds through the speech. I have sinned against you. I am unworthy to be your son. And dad cuts him off. Dad cuts him off. And here's what he does. Think about this, right? The dad takes him and hugs him. And, and, and he's smelly. And he's dirty. And he's disgusting. He smells like those unclean pigs. Dad don't care. He embraces him and he hugs him and he kisses him. He's going to take him home. If we had time to discuss the significance of all these things, we would here. But the robe, the ring, and the shoes all speak to their relationship and his freedom. Like I think the robe signifies something about their relationship. It's kind of like the robe of righteousness that we put on. Not because Christ just covers our sins, but because because we have, a, we have a new identity, so we, we put on Christ. We wear our identity in Christ as we talk about those new creation clothes all the time. But even here, the ring and the shoes of the Bullinger Study Bible says those symbolize in that culture freedom. Like servants didn't wear shoes, but sons did. And so he puts on the ring and the shoes, and I think there's something about all of those things signifying different aspects of the gospel at work here. And then he would go and he would fatten up the calf, right? That's what they would do. They would fatten up the calf for a celebration. They'd make it fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter until it was ready to explode and then they'd have the party. And the fattened calf here speaks to the sacrifice that's required, the blood that is shed, but also to the celebration, which is kind of what Passover was. They used a lamb, right? But it was a sacrifice and it was a celebration at the same time of the great Passover. But that just speaks to something, again, so significant as they sacrifice, as they kill the fatted calf. Now, the dad here refers to his son as his son. Not, you're not my servant, you're my son. And the, the, the big question in this story is always this. Is this a prodigal someone who has wandered away from their faith? Or is this someone who was never saved and needs to be reconciled to God? You could, 
you can take it both ways. I mean, there's applications to just the Jewish people being the elect of God, and there's that angle to this. But just in general terms, uh, he does say that this, my son, was dead and is now alive. I think there is something about this young man represents all of those who are dead in their sins and need to be made alive in Christ. They're lost and they need to be found. And the, the, the simple reality is, is that none of us were created to be the servants of God. We were created to be the sons and daughters of God. So that's the implication of being a son. We were always created to be God's children. It's, it's a picture of Isaiah 53. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have gone our own way like Adam and Eve did in the garden, out into the wilderness like this young man did. We were created to be the sons and daughters of God. Now this is where the story gets really good because I'm guessing you have yet to grasp the fullest implications of what is unfolding here. The son wants to come home and yet there is this issue of the Keza ceremony. Remember what would happen. The elders would confront someone like this prodigal. They would break the clay pot signifying the broken relationship that you had shamed and dishonored not only your father but your people and you would then be cut off from your country, your people and your faith. Now, let's jump back to the dad a moment, right? Something else about the dad that is significant here is we, this picture is the dad's running to his son. Like It's almost like he's been waiting. Like he's, he's been fattening the calf up in preparation for his son to come home maybe and he's looking and just looking out of the corner of his eye every day wondering, is today the day? Will he come back today? And when he sees him, it says he starts running. You have to understand something that in that day, fathers like that, like the older respected men, they didn't run. Because if you run, you had to hike up, you know, you had to hike up your robe to be able to run. <laughs> you did. And truth, I never knew this, truth is that was something that was considered dishonorable. Like that brought shame to yourself if you let people see your legs. I guess you didn't go swimming in that day. But, uh, but so, so, so you've got this, this father hiking up his robe and running. He doesn't care if he's embarrassed. He doesn't care if he's shamed. He doesn't care. He is running after his son. Why? Why is he running after his son? Because he has to get to his son before the elders get to his son and break the clay pot and cut him off forever. And let me tell you, those elders, we'll see in a minute. Yeah. That, that's what they would want to do. They'd be angry if they couldn't. And so just look at the text again here. Right? The father, he has to reach his son before the elders did. That's what's going, he's, I don't care if I'm, I'm gonna get to my son first and I'm gonna embrace him and I'm gonna bring him home. And look at the text again, verses 20 through 22. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, listen to this, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate and he brings his son home and he says, quick, get my robe, get it on him, get the, get, get, get the, the ring on him, get the shoes on him. He's a free man, he's my son and they can't have him. And that's just so amazing because you see why the son, so, why the father so desperately ran after 
his son. When he was angry, this is the, the third part of the, seeing the gospel through the eyes of the older brother, he was angry and refused to go in. The older son here represents the elders, the scribes, and the Pharisees. He represents the ones who want to cut off his son. That's what the whole parable's about. He's speaking to the, he's speaking to the, 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 the these, hanging out with these, these sinners, right? And the, 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 the religious establishment, the elders, the scribes, the Pharisees come along and they're angry. Like, that's, that's sullying your reputation as a rabbi. So he tells them, like, like he's telling this parable and, and so he stops and he tells, looks at the, at the scribes and Pharisees and tells them a parable about them. Not about this man, but about them. It's like, you may want to cut him off and you may want nothing to do with him, but I love him. And I have enough grace and I have enough forgiveness and I have enough bread in my house to feed him. Wow, what, what, a, what, an, amazing, what an amazing story. Today's big idea, God fathers us so we can father our children. That's what God does to us. He loves us unconditionally with so much grace and so much mercy and so much love. So we can go out and we can love our kids that way. We can, we can be that kind of employee. We can be that kind of son to our own parents or that own brother or whatever it might be. Anyone in the room, that's how God treats us. So we can go out and treat others with such amazing, amazing, amazing grace. What we learned today, you never stop being their father. You will never stop being your kid's father. They'll always need you. You will always leave your kids an inheritance. We sometimes fret about what kind of monetary inheritance we can leave our kids. It's not about how much money you can leave them. It's about the spiritual blessings you can leave them. Number three, you must give your children the free will to fall. Yeah, even out of a tree. I think Wayne did that a lot with uh, his kids. They were breaking something. Oh, so yeah, and so was Evan. So good job. Good, good job, Rick and Heather. You, you, know, you gave them the free will to fall and break a few bones. Yeah. You're supposed to eventually learn, though. <laughs> Number four, you must always let your kids know they can, they can always come home. You won't judge them. You'll love them. You'll get them back on the right path. And number five, your kids need more than anything the gospel. Demonstrated by the father who runs to his son. Let me leave you with Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have all been the prodigal. We have. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. The reality is the clay pot was broken. It wasn't broken for you. It was broken for Jesus Christ who hung on the cross in your place, cut off from the land of the living, died a physical death and a spiritual death so we could be set free. Father, thank you for your love. May we understand the powerful love of a father the love you demonstrate to us, the love that you give to us so we can go out and give to others. Just remind us of that this week. Wrap your arms around each person here. I pray a special blessing for the dads today.
that they would just really uh, be able to understand how important they are to their kids, young and old. Doesn't matter how old you are, you never stop being your kid's dad. And Lord, if there are people in the world today that don't have a father and maybe we have the opportunity to reach out and be a father in their world, Lord, open our eyes to those opportunities. May we be willing to do it. Just like this, this man that started that YouTube channel, so many are longing for the hope that's only found in Christ. May we offer it to them. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. God, you are my father. Because of the sacrifice of your son, because of your grace and mercy, and the forgiveness of my sin. Speaking as your son on Father's Day, I've come to ask you for help for the son you've given me. Please make him hungry for wisdom every day. Cause him to quickly lose his appetite for the foolishness of the world. Help him to recognize your power in all that you've made and to grasp the meaning of love you showed him on the cross. Give him the courage to escape the sins that will trap him and the pride that will blind him to his need for you. Bring him to the moment where he will fix his eyes on Jesus and begin to run the race you've marked out for him. Thank you for making a way for my son to be your son. Help him to become the man you mean for him to be.